It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here on first down and goal from the one is Lavelle Coppage in untouched for the touchdown. No, maybe the easiest touchdown Lavelle Coppage has ever scored. Burke looking to throw, looking in the end zone, looking for Denton, and he's got him for the touchdown. Each week, those who know Division Three football break down the weekend. There are several teams that seem to have established themselves as elite, and as we get into this postseason, it's going to be, uh, I think, pretty exciting to watch which ones emerge. I don't, I don't think we can say, okay, these two teams are, this should definitely meet in the Stag Bowl, or these four teams should definitely meet in the Final Four. I think it's going to be um, you know, pretty exciting five weeks of playoffs. From the record breakers. Well, Pat, he's been a guy who's averaged eight yards a carry all season. He's been a big play guy, and if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, you, you know this is not the first time that we've had occasion to mention Western Connecticut, Connecticut State, Octavius McCoy. It's actually his third consecutive five-touchdown game. To the surprises on the field. One just out of the blue makes me go, what the hell was that, Wartburg? Wow, congratulations. That's a heck of a way to get into the second round. To the surprises off the field. For the first time in a few years, not surprised, maybe pleasantly surprised that uh, all eight at-large teams that we projected actually got in. It, it seems to me like the NCAA actually followed their own rules correctly. You even hear from those on the sidelines. You know, we had no idea where the record set. I knew he was probably over 400. You know, just by coincidence, we were up two scores late, and uh, you know, he, he had a carry to the sideline, and I'm like, let's get him out of here. We don't want to get him hurt for next week. There is only one place to turn to, the only show that covers the entire Division Three football nation. D3Football.com's Around the Nation podcast. I don't think you, you can argue it now, Pat. You have two dominant teams at the top of Division Three. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Week six of the Division Three football season, shootouts galore. Uh, we will talk probably quite a bit about that throughout the course of the podcast, but uh, a couple of them specifically, uh, one of which was a game in which we thought uh, was an interesting matchup between a, a heavily favored offense and a heavily favored defense. And it turned out that offense won this time as Delaware Valley beat Lyco 52-42. And then uh, one of those great Texas-style shootouts uh, later in the evening on Saturday night as Texas Lutheran survived against East Texas Baptist. At, uh, Keith, uh, a couple of uh, those games are really interesting in Week 6 in Division Three football. Yo, absolutely. The... Uh Three games we put for our game of the week in triple take. They all turn out to be great games. And the Texas Lutheran shootout, um, we'll call it that because they, they ended up winning. They came back from, uh, from down, double, they were down, I think, 15 pretty late in that game. And uh, East Texas Baptist was, you know, they were scoring back and forth in that one. The, the Lyco Delval score was wild. You know, you couldn't believe it was, you know, teams had 35 on the board in, in, in that game you know, at the half. It was such a, um, it was there were the huge shootout. We'll talk about it probably much later. Whitworth and and Willamette. They were just all over the place. Uh, you know, big lot of offense this week, and there were some great defensive performances as well. But um, but I I think I think the the like you know seeing light coming uh, give up you know more than fifty points, which hadn't happened since nineteen forty nine, is uh, is pretty amazing. It was and it was more points than they had given up all season to this point. I was listening to that game a little bit in the car. Thank you, Ustream. Thanks to our uh, friend Gordon Mann, who was uh, calling the game for Delaware Valley. And uh, you know, to be honest with you, I thought 
Del Val had uh, had kind of lost its chance. Um, it, I felt like it was a kind of game where uh, Del Val wasn't likely to stop Lyco, and in a lot of cases there weren't even third downs. There were a lot of second down conversions. It was a hugely offensive first quarter with 35 points scored, um, and then Del Val, uh, uh, Chris Smallwood dropped a pass, and Del Val had to punt, and then Lyco went up 21-7, and I thought. I thought that was going to be the end of it, but uh, it turned out it wasn't. Uh, Delval find a, found a way to get some stops. They were up at the half, and they uh, maintained that lead throughout the second half. You know, big picture, Lycoming is one of those teams that has, has for years, been a team known for its defense. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot of times about the Trinity, the, the Black Flag. They were, for a while, known for their defense. There are other teams across the country that have, uh, that have always been strong defensive teams. You know, Warburg maybe is another one. But, um, you know, to see those kind of numbers, and again, for me, it wasn't until I looked up and saw that that, that was a, the 35-28 Del Valide at halftime. I think, you know, it was a mind-blowing that, that, that uh, Lyco had, had given up that many points. And, of course, you know, there was that, that famous game they played with Widener years ago where I think the final was 50-49. to 49. Uh, So they have had, you know, big scoring games before. But this one got out of control early. And, uh, and, you know, besides the final score being amazing, I thought the other big stat that really jumps off the page for DelVal was the uh, 231 rushing yards. Yeah, uh, you know, because we've talked a lot about – uh, Aaron Wilmer and Rashid Bailey, quarterback and uh, wide receiver combo. We'll talk more about that in just a second here. But, uh, you know, uh, Chris Smallwood has had a really good year for them, too. It's just you get any other number can get uh, can get kind of overshadowed when your top receiver is the guy who leads Division Three in receiving yards a game. He came in Saturday uh, a shade under 180. He caught for 195 yards and surely will uh, – I think would uh, stay atop the uh, rankings because I can't think of who else would uh, have had a big enough week to pass him. But the reason these guys are so prolific on offense is because they have been working out together for quite a long time. Uh, well, me and Rasheed, we've been close ever since our freshman year. Uh, we work out every summer together. Uh, and that's why you see the chemistry on the field. It's not just, you know, we come in during camp and, and we just play. We were actually put in the time and effort over the summer, starting uh, right after spring ball in May and June and July. And we just keep working and working, going against other top uh, athletes in the city. And it shows when we come out here on Saturday and we can put up points like that. And Rasheed gets a lot of big numbers. Well, yeah, and it's not just uh, Rasheed that's putting up the big numbers. Of course, um, on Saturday, uh, Aaron Wilmer, 21 of 27, which I think is, is fairly accurate. Uh, for uh, for 380 yards, the five touchdowns, he went over 10,000 yards for uh, for total offense, and uh, the offense when it when it has a, a a obviously a go-to player and an experienced senior quarterback, you you have a real uh, you know chance to convert any first down anytime you need a big play, you get in a shootout like that, you have two guys you can lean on. But I think the having the ground attack on uh, on Saturday was real impressive. Chris Smallwood with the uh, 180 yards just gave him that balance, and uh, and obviously uh, the Warriors had no answer for it. In that other game, the uh, East Texas Baptist uh, Texas Lutheran game, you know, uh, similarly. A, uh, a shootout from the beginning. I mean, wasn't back and forth initially at first, but then, you know, all heck breaks loose. Uh, we, we talk about uh, the American Southwest Conference being the little 12 over the last couple of years, you know, like the big 12, but smaller, right, with the type of scores. And Texas Lutheran isn't in that league anymore, but uh, clearly capable of uh, playing exactly that style of football. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's another team that can score through the air, on the ground, uh, has great balance. And, I, and you know, Saturday, it was sort of amazing because 
you know, what stands out to me about this East Texas Baptist team is, you know, they gave up the 98 points. And I think I feel like every time I mention them and I'm going to say something positive about them, I have to bring up week one against Texas A&M Commerce. But, you know, they play a scholarship school in week one. They, they, they lose 98-20. And, uh, you know, that, that's the type of thing that could demoralize a team. And in, that happened, in no way did that happen to, to East Texas Baptist. They, were, uh, they won their next three games. They're in this game. They're rolling at, at one point. They go up. Late in the third quarter, they went up 43-28 in this game. And, uh, you know, at, at that point, it seemed like, they, you know, they had an answer for everything Texas Lutheran was doing. There's there's the point. Um, late in the third, TLU scores with uh, 2.53 left in the third, and East Texas Baptist comes back in a minute and 11 seconds and uh, is right back on the board with another touchdown. And that's what gave them the 43-28 lead. And so at that point, kind of felt like they were in control of the game at Anything that that the Bulldogs did, uh, East Texas Baptist had a, had an answer for it. And then, last play of the third quarter, TLU scores on a 39-yard touchdown pass, Trenton White to Connor Baird, and that was the first of four consecutive touchdowns for Texas Lutheran. And the the crazy thing about that point in the game too is that it wasn't like a bunch of fluke, you know, turnovers, interceptions. Uh, they just they just the defense started picking it up. They started getting uh, East Texas Baptist off the field, and uh, and they they were able to you know to turn what was a 15 point deficit into a, a 12 point lead. They went from down 43 28 to up 55 43, ended up being a 55 49 final. And, and really, I think the the one of the drives that really kind of cements it for Texas Lutheran is when they go 12 plays, 90 yards, and they take 625 off the clock after there have been these amazing, you know, two and a half minute or less scoring drives. Then Texas Lutheran goes up by five and they milk off uh, about 75% of what was left of the game at that point. Yeah, and and didn't give uh, Josh Warbington and the uh, the East Texas Baptist Tigers offense uh, much chance to uh, close the gap once they went up two scores. So crazy shootout, and we've seen Texas through Texas Lutheran now in uh, in improving to six and zero. We've seen them win different types of games, blowouts, games that were tight. Remember that crazy finish a few weeks ago at Louisiana College, and uh, and now this one. This one was uh, at home against a team that you know had a match. Uh, or had had a comeback for everything it did early on in the game, and they were able to to pull away in the fourth quarter. Twelve hundred and seventy-seven yards of total offense in that game. Keith, real quick reaction. Uh, TLU, I believe, is ranked 18th in the coaches' poll. They're not ranked in the D3 football top 25. Uh, is that uh, I can think of a couple reasons, and I want to see which way you lean. Is it because you know they did the same thing last year, and then Harden Simmons just waxed them at one point late in the season, or is it because? You know, they're not playing that they're just not uh, they're playing these high scoring shootout games and it's not a, a more balanced offensive defensive attack. I, you know, I, I can't speak to that because I've been I think I had them at 24 or 25 back in the preseason, very at the beginning of the season. And uh, because they had a lot of starters back and, uh, and and I've been moving them up every week. But I do think, you know, you have to see it done consistently to convince voters and I think you have to see it done against other good teams and and this East Texas Baptist is uh is is one impressive win but um you know and I thought the Louisiana College win was a pretty big one too you know it's not it's not the same as playing Mary Harden Baylor but you know those are about some of the best teams you can play in the south and so uh you know to see cuz to see Texas Lutheran do it consistently you know, and, and win different types of games where they where they have to play well in the fourth quarter, I think you start to see more voters get on board. 
TLU is 6-0. They have a bye this week, so they have two weeks to prepare for that game against Mary Harden Baylor, which comes up on October 25th. We talked a lot about offense. I went on Saturday to Wisconsin Stout and saw them play against uh, University of Wisconsin Whitewater. Saw a little bit of defense. Whitewater shut out Stout 37 to nothing, and it's the second shutout in three games for the Warhawks. One of the things about the Warhawks this season that uh, there was some question about is uh, you know, Whitewater had uh, turned over its entire linebacker core, not just the three starters, but their top two uh, reserves as well last year were seniors. So they were taking a uh, group of uh, and and lopping off the uh, top five linebackers and bringing back a, a completely new crew this year. And I talked with Lance Leipold, the head coach of the Warhawks, about that after the game. For the top five to leave the program and stuff, Justin Dishler's the uh, uh, the experienced one of the group. He, he's playing in the middle. He's playing really good. He, he's doing a really fine job for us. Kyle Schiedemeyer, Paul Foster are, are starting on the outside. Um, Spencer Jock, who's overcome two ACL injuries as a senior, is starting to get more reps in as a reserve. And... Uh, probably going to leave a couple guys out there, but uh, uh, Matt Seitz is a very talented freshman for us, and, and we're really, as he continues to get his feet on the ground, we're looking, we're looking for a lot, from, uh, a lot of upside from him as we progress through conference play. Whitewater is another one of those teams, just like we talked about earlier, uh, teams who have become defined by their defenses over the past several years, and uh, to be able to, to replace linebackers, uh, when you lose, they've, they've always had great linebackers going back to their first Stag Bowl teams and uh, and to have consistent performances, you know, elsewhere on the defense. Brady Gravold, obviously, with the the interceptions on Saturday, uh, those really help. You know, them and, and Mount Union, part of the reason they've been so great is because they've been able to not just put up the big numbers as we see teams across the country do, but to be consistent week to week, season to season defensively. And, of course, the offense for Whitewater is certainly clicking as they had so many players back on that side of the ball. Uh, that's our top stories for the week. We're going to transition into game balls, and the timer is starting, by the way, Keith, just FYI. I had a, I had a comment from uh, somebody, a, a podcast listener this week, who said the, uh, um, the alarm was pretty startling to them, so I'm going to try to push it a little further back. But it's an alarm. It's meant to be loud. Game balls. I'm going to give mine out to... Eric Gargiulo, no doubt about it. Five interceptions for Montclair State in the 35-15 win at Southern Virginia. That gives him seven picks in the past two weeks. Last D3 player to do it was Ben Matthews for Bethel versus Gustavus Adolphus in September 2000. Now, the NCAA record book credits a Stillman player from 2002 as being the most recent, but they were already making the move to Division II at the time, so I don't really count that. But still, uh, so that makes uh, him... Makes Gargiulo the 11th Division Three player to do so. So that's a, a pretty big tie at the top. Montclair is now 4-1, 2-0 in the NJAC, and they have TCNJ next week before playing Rowan the following week. And by the way, don't forget Rick Giancola, the winningest active Division Three football head coach. And as a, a member of the, a living member of the four interception club, I could tell you that uh, five interceptions in a game is is very impressive. It's it's I mean, it's almost... You know, it's hard to believe one quarterback would throw five interceptions to the other team, not just to, to one guy, um, because at a certain point after two or three picks, you know, you, you wonder if the team's going to stop throwing your way. And, and for a guy to, uh, to be able to get five is, is pretty outstanding. My game ball goes to the Texas Lutheran offensive line. We did DBs and now we're going O-line. At least you and I are branching out with these game balls, right? Not just giving it to quarterbacks and running backs and receivers. Heck yeah. That uh, that O line uh, for for Texas Lutheran uh, in the center, Davin Klein, the guards, Tyler Hallett, 
and uh, Kendall Wilkerson tackles Eddie Scott, Matt Hochstrasser. Uh, apologies if if uh, if they rotated any other linemen in the game uh, in this one. Here's why I had to give it to you know not just you can't just give it to a quarterback. You can't just give it to a running back in in a game when your team has, is this balanced on offense. 601 total yards of offense, 250 passing, 351 rushing yards. Okay, five five point seven yards per rush. They ran the ball 62 times in this game. So we, you talk about it being the little 12, right? We, they putting up these amazing passing numbers, but a lot of it comes on the ground, and that's uh, you, you can't do that without a great offensive line. Not only that, though, Trenton White passing 20 or 29. In the game, so you know he was able to be you know, fairly efficient. Um, almost two thirds of his passes complete. He was sacked twice, but only for five yards lost. Um, the, the big you know rushing performance again, of course, uh, Marquis Barrow, uh, thirty-five yards, thirty-five carries, two hundred forty-seven yards uh, at seven point one per carry. But also AJ Saucedo, I guess that's how you say his name. So it looks like it's saucy. <laughs> Uh, 17 carries for 53 yards and a couple of touchdowns. So um, I, I think you look at a performance like that across the board. And also, you know, they were 11 and 19 on third downs. Pretty much every facet of the offense was, was clicking. And even even though they gave up, the, they, they gained 600 yards. Uh, East Texas Baptist gained like 657 or something in that game. So they weren't the only ones out there. But I thought between the fact that they had the the – Great rushing game, super balance, and also uh, to be able to dig deep in the fourth quarter and do it. That's my game ball. My team on the rise, you know, I would like to say Warburg. They certainly ought to be. I'm not quite sure there's anywhere for them to go at the moment because nobody ahead of them lost. But they were only behind by uh, five points to John Carroll last week, and they could maybe make that up. They had a really great week, uh, crushing Co. 43 nothing, and Co.'s obviously traditionally been pretty good. Uh, John Carroll really couldn't impress anybody against Wilmington. I, I think winning 69 uh, nothing doesn't even create a ripple in that game. Whereas you know Warburg has just been clicking. They've been playing on a high level all season, um, and I. I think that you know they're uh, as they start this stretch of conference play, like we talked about with Rick Willis back in week two. They have this stretch where they go co Dubuque. <laughs> we thought Luther might be a bit of a break, but maybe not. Uh, Buena Vista Simpson coming up uh, after they've already played Central. So uh, Warburg really in the heart of their schedule. I think they're playing really well. Yeah, my uh, team on the rise got to be Delval. Uh, um- not just scoring the the 50 plus points four weeks in a row, which I think is pretty impressive, and obviously doing it against Lycoming is pretty impressive. But we had a couple of MAC teams in the poll, and, and they were sort of stuck together because I think people were waiting to see a little bit of separation, um, you know, see one team stand out from from one of these others. Widener was at number 19, Lyco was at 20, Delval was just getting eight votes in the in the others receiving votes category. Uh, those numbers are going to flip pretty significantly this week. Lyco may fall out of the top 25, Delval may pick up almost all of Lyco's votes. I don't know exactly how that's going to shake out. Of course, by the time you hear this podcast, you will have seen the poll because it'll be out Sunday afternoon, early evening. And Texas Lutheran maybe will creep up from the second team and others receiving votes. They may creep into the top 25, depending on who falls out. Your Texas Lutheran is my Delaware Valley. I've been voting for them for a few weeks, but not since week one because uh, that would have been crazy talk. I think we might have picked them to uh, come in fourth in the league. And uh, yeah, they've played uh, really well, especially on offense. Um, well, my team that's going to take a fall... Um, you know, I don't know if Wheaton will fall in the poll, but, uh, I think Wheaton at, uh, where we have them right now, 
coming into uh, coming into this week was a little bit overranked. The Thunder really needed help from Augustana to win that game on Saturday. They won that game twenty to thirteen. Augustana was up 13-10 at the half. They ran a fake punt on 4th and 15 in their own territory, didn't convert, then committed a pair of penalties, and and Wheaton still couldn't get in the end zone. They kicked a field goal to tie it up. Uh, Augustana later muffed a punt, and uh, Wheaton got the ball in the Augustana 7 and was in the end zone two plays later. So uh, Wheaton came back and won that game despite having just 33 yards of offense in the second half. I think if you combine that with the fact that Wheaton's early season win against Coe looks a lot worse today, uh, they couldn't put away Kalamazoo or Eau Claire, and those teams are combined 0-10. Their other win is against North Park. Um, I just think that uh, Wheaton, based on its resume here in 2014, hasn't done what it uh, needed to to be ranked where it is in the D3 football top 25. Yeah, I think you could make a similar case for for Wisconsin Platteville. They're four and one. They uh, they beat River Falls uh, just twenty four to fourteen on Saturday. But I also think that River Falls now this is a couple of weeks with them uh, having a fairly you know competitive game against a good team. So uh, so I, I won't put Platteville quite in the in the same group with Wheaton, which means my team that's taking a fall is going to be Ithaca, which is you know kind of obvious thirteenth ranked team um, losing to Buffalo State on Saturday. We talked about this in the podcast a little bit last week, Pat, with the Empire 8. We just have no idea which direction it's going to go. Buff State on Saturday forcing six turnovers, um, scoring scoring twice on defense and, uh, and beating Ithaca by 11, 38, 27. I think the shocker there for me, they did have the two uh, defensive touchdowns, but you know Ithaca giving up 38, so I guess that's giving up 24. They'd been great defensively so far uh, this season. And uh, it was the, the quarterback switch for Buff State from Kyle Hoppy to Dan Serengis. Hope I'm saying his name right, but uh, I'll, I'll find out uh, when I check my email on Monday if, uh, if I'm not. Um, I, you know, Ithaca is going to obviously drop pretty far, and, and I think rightfully so. But I don't. I just, voters not have not going to have any idea what to do with the Empire Eight. Hoppy is the guy who we wrote about in Around the Region earlier in the season. He's a former minor league baseball player. Uh, he struggled in the early going. He was two of eight, threw a pick, was sacked a couple times, and after they got him out of the game, switched things up a little bit. Obviously, the rally was off, and it was a 31-point uh, run, I guess, a 31 nothing run in basketball parlance for uh, Buff State there in that win against Ithaca. Uh, also, the Platteville River Falls game. Uh, it, that actually is kind of like the uh, Wheaton Augustana game. So Platteville scored on a 28-yard drive and a nine-yard drive in the third quarter to go from 10-7 after they hit a field goal on the last play of the third quarter to go up or second quarter to go up 10-7. They went up 24-17 or 24-7 to kind of put that game a little bit out of reach. So yeah, uh, actually that Platteville is probably one of those uh, over-ranked teams as well based on what they've done so far. And we'll see how that uh, plays out as things go on. Uh, Going off the beaten path a little bit. I uh, I thought about St. Lawrence defeating RPI. They go five and one, three and zero oh in the Liberty League. In fact, we could be talking about the Saints in a different group of teams. You know those surprise unbeaten's. If not for that loss to Norwich in September, which is just a puzzler still, uh, it's like the best win for the ECFC this season. Uh, for the Saints on Saturday, Mike Leffelbein threw three touchdowns. Saints defense picked up four turnovers. Um, you know, uh, RPI, which is uh, running that uh, offense that uh, the uh, coach brought with them from Ferrum, is uh, trying to do spread option. If, if they're trying to throw the ball, they're obviously not in good shape, and they did not throw the ball well on Saturday either. 
Off the beaten path for me, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Bluffed and holding Rose Holman to just 17 points. Remember, Rose Holman is the team that won a game earlier this season, 74-68. Bluffed, and this is handing Rose Holman their their first loss. They were 4-0 coming into this game, and and that happened to a couple of teams this week where they were undefeated and uh and lost to a kind of in a surprising fashion i thought we were uh, using undebeaten on this podcast <laughs> well we got, we got to make up a new word each week and so we've made we've used that one already and we'll just randomly create one later uh as we get into the lightning round or, or what have you um Late in that game, the engineers drove 15 plays in the fourth quarter. It was a, a two-score game, and they were trying to, to cut it to one score. They, uh, 15 plays in the fourth quarter, fumble on the five-yard line. That was one of five turnovers that Bluffton forced, which which uh, helped them win that game, and Bluffton also held the ball for 37 minutes. That was my first off-the-beaten-path highlight since I have a little time left over. Let me you squeeze one more in. One minute. Uh, Elmhurst, how about the double overtime win at Carthage, 49-42? The, the crazy thing about that is it wasn't a um, you know, the score, team scores, team scores. Each team had a, had 21 unanswered at one point in that game. So Elmhurst gets out to the big lead. Carthage rallies in the second half and ties it. And then Elmhurst has the ball with a, a field goal attempt to, to try to win it. Uh, and uh, Zach Palisard blocked the field goal uh, with 2.6 seconds left. 2.6 seconds left, sending the game into overtime, tied at 35. And, of course, it, it ended up uh, going in two overtimes, and Elmhurst won that way. Most surprising result for me on Saturday, I thought, how about Baldwin-Wallace needing the last three scores of the game, uh, including a safety and a pick six to win at Marietta 40-33. to This is not your older brother's Marietta team, I can tell you that. I, I'm, do you have an older brother? I don't. Um, I have a younger brother, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what your younger brother's Marietta team is going to look like, but it's definitely not your older brother's Marietta team. Uh, they were up by nine on the Yellow Jackets with seven minutes to go. Uh, even though they did not win on Saturday, uh, clearly this is a team that's not going to go 2-8, and 1-8, eight, and eight because there are definitely some teams at the bottom of the OAC that they can pick off at this rate. Yeah, my uh, most surprising result was Shenandoah. Um, not just beating Guilford, uh, they, they won... 47-31, and, and it was a little bit of a surprise. Guilford was another one of those teams that was 4-0, but they also had been rolling offensively uh, 52 points three times out of their first four games. They also beat uh, Southern Virginia 35-27 earlier in the season, and this was one that Shenandoah got out to a, a big lead at the half, and, and while I was at the youth football with my son and daughter today, you know, I'm watching the D3 scores, and uh, I said, you know, that's a game that could get close in the second half. Shenandoah was leading 25-10 at the half. But, you know, Guilford has this big high-powered offense with Matt Pawlowski, the quarterback. And I figured that game's going to get close at some point, And it just never did. Shenandoah did not let him get back in it. Uh, they, they extended that lead to 41-37 late in. I mean, 41-17, I'm sorry, late in the third quarter. And then Guilford did put a couple of touchdowns on the board. I had a chance to close it to eight. At uh, at forty one thirty one and uh, failed two point conversion and then uh, Shenandoah closed it out with it with an interception return. But I, you know I I thought that another win as always seems to happen in the ODAC. There's so much parity in that conference and and it just uh, you know turned the right when you think all right Guilford may be the team to watch this this year. You know somebody comes in and beats them by not you know not just beats them by a couple points, but but handily. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of looking forward to the uh, Guilford-Hampton-Sydney game, which isn't until much later. It's in Week 10. Uh, but as a, as a possibility for that's the game that's going to decide the conference. And now, you know, Guilford runs into a little speed bump. Pawlowski threw the three picks. That's the first time in his career that he's thrown 
uh, three interceptions, and uh, Guilford falls to four and one. And now they're just one and one in the league. They have Bridgewater, then Randolph, Macon, Catholic, Hampton, Sydney, and Emery and Henry, who we haven't talked about much, but I'm sure we will talk about later uh, here uh, to close out the rest of the uh, 2014 regular season slate. My stat of the week. I think we've talked a little bit about offense. Let's talk about just how much offense there was this week. An average of 55.7 points were scored in Division Three games this weekend. And in 25 of those games, one team scored more than 50 points. 25 games, nearly a quarter of the schedule. Someone's got a 50 in their column. Uh, 31 of those games, the margin of victory was 30 points or more, and there were 57 monkey stomps. Uh, what's the official definition of a monkey stomp now? Yeah, the official definition of a monkey stomp, which is brought to us by the uh, folks on the Liberty League message board from like 2002. Uh, a monkey stomp is winning by 21 points or more. And by the way, I think that works for basketball, too. I think 21 points is a, a pretty good blowout in basketball. So, Keith, in a previous podcast, we talked about offense versus defense. And, uh, you know, we kind of had to cut that conversation for time. And I thought maybe we'd take another crack at it. So my question to you is, why are offenses so far out ahead in college? football these days is it you know offensives being more innovative and defensive not catching up is it rules is it you know uh kids just really want to play offense and nobody wants to play defense what do you what especially as a defensive guy what's your take on that yeah i think it's mostly the the offensive innovations in the game maybe the past five years they've really they've really taken off whether it's um being able to to simplify the offensive calls and get them in more quickly. We wrote about that a few weeks ago in uh, one of the Around the Region comms with, with Wilkes having one-word one play calls. Um, you know, the package plays, the, the, the plays where, you know, it's a run unless the quarterback pulls it and then they can throw a bubble screen off it or something like that. There's just so many uh, crazy innovations that have really taken hold and uh, have trickled down in the game over the past, I would say five, maybe a little longer than five years to the point where if you're practicing this stuff in, in high school, by the time you get to college, it's not, you're not learning a completely new, new concepts and new systems, but you're actually refining what you already know. And I think that's probably the, the biggest difference you know, more so than, than rules or something, which, which make a, I think the rules make a bigger, bigger difference uh, in the NFL, especially, you know, pass interference and uh, in the, the emphasis they're having this year on uh, illegal contact. Keith, I'll give you a fresh two minutes for your stat of the week. I appreciate that. I, I don't know if I need all two minutes, but I definitely need some of it. Uh, we already discussed the the five interception game for Montclair State. I think that's pretty impressive. Um, but here's another interception-related stat. Both Buffalo State and Shenandoah games we mentioned earlier um, had two interception return touchdowns uh, this week, and, and that helped them win by double digits despite being significantly outgained. Ithaca outgained Buffalo State 459 to 288. Guilford outgained Shenandoah 521 to 350. And I'm sure you know part of the, those numbers are those teams fell behind and, and they were throwing to get back into the game. But those those uh, two interception return for touchdowns help. You know, if your offense is not, you know, offense doesn't have to generate silly numbers, crazy yardage when uh, when you can score on defense. And uh, Shenandoah, to their credit, they also had a 92-yard kickoff return to open the game, so they actually scored on three uh, return touchdowns. Yeah, uh, that certainly helps. You look at, uh, obviously, games with unbalanced uh, with unbalanced yardage like that, and you're really then looking for the special teams plays to uh, to uh, kind of even that out or the, uh, or, or the uh, changes of possession, the quick change in possession. Um, looking at triple take, let's see some of the best predictions. Um, 
you know, uh, Ryan picked Wisconsin Stevens point to remain unbeaten. That's not necessarily a tough pick, but he was the only one of the three of us to get that one correct. So I have to give him his props for that. Um, Keith, you had uh, correctly called University of Chicago and Trinity of Texas to be surprisingly close and, and Chicago remains unbeaten. Yeah, well, that's a you know a pretty decent test for them. I think now they're at that five and zero. They uh, featured on the on the site this week, and uh, the the thing that was kind of triggered my uh, you know when I'm thinking, oh, what's gonna where are the games that that look like they're gonna be blowouts, but they're actually a lot closer. Is when you look at just the level of competition Trinity had had played coming in, uh, even though they were they were uh, only had one win, they'd played you know. Willamette and Pacific Lutheran and, and their their competition had been a lot tougher than Chicago. So that ended up being a 14-7 game and a pretty tight one. Yeah, and Chicago won that game. Speaking of uh, of uh, misleading stats or whatever, uh, U.S. Chicago won that game with only 168 yards of total offense. They scored that second touchdown on a uh, one-play 13-yard drive. Um, yeah. Another good prediction was you uh, taking uh, Ithaca, picking them to to lose. You know, it's always tough to to pick a top twenty five team to fall, and that's that's one of the reasons we challenge ourselves each week in, in triple take to make it interesting and, uh, and and fun. Sometimes we have to go out on that limb. And uh, and you, Pat, you know, it, it didn't look too good for you for that pick about halfway through. <laughs> no, and uh, uh, someone uh, someone who lists himself as a journalist on Twitter, I, I don't know where he works, but uh, called me out on it with uh, three minutes to go in the second quarter, and I'm like, it, I think there's 33 minutes of football game left. I'm not willing to concede defeat at that point. And then, yeah, Buff State starts to go on that 31 nothing run. But, you know, when I'm trying to pick uh, teams, top 25 teams to lose, what I'm looking at is – primarily what's the distance between where they are in the in the in the top 25 ranking and where they are in my poll you know or in my ballot and teams where there's a significant distance you know those are the teams I tend to look at that that's not to say that I had Ithaca significantly lower than 13 I just knew that you know from what we've talked about last week and knowing how good the Empire 8 is is that was a game that was uh probably toss upable how about that yeah there's your made-up word for the week (laughs) Shoot, you, should, we, <laughs> you should win a prize like if you listen to the podcast and you and you get the uh word of the week you and, should collect them all and send them to us at the end of the season <laughs> like you have to use it in a sentence in a in a public setting or something and require, all right, well never mind yeah, tweet it back uh, tweet it back at us tweet it at d3 football toss upable uh it has two p's and two s's toss upable um but you know we i guess give uh ryan tips a little credit for putting that as his game of the week um because honestly i thought you and i kind of snagged the what wasn't a week where there was great great obvious top 25 clashes and so i thought you and i snagged a couple of the good games and uh ryan actually did his his picks first this week and he took buff state at ithaca and ended up being a, a very wise pick as uh, as was Lyco and uh me picking east texas baptist and texas lutheran for game of the week and that may have been the only good pick i made in triple take that and the chicago one um yeah, I have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to dig back into triple take for a second, uh, Keith, to to pick out some of the bad ones. But uh, you were uh, you were talking about yours for a second there. Yeah, well, my uh, I I picked Wartburg to be the most likely top twenty five team to be upset, and not only were they not upset, they have like, literally nothing to be upset about uh, on on Saturday. They beat Co forty forty three zero. And, uh, and, and I, this is probably the best Warburg team we've seen in, in several years. Uh, they were pretty good last year. The 
the logic, of course, behind me picking Co is that that Co had just had their number for the past couple of years. Um, they had rallied from from down 17-0 to, to win by a field goal in 2011. They crushed them in 2012, and uh, they were one of the only teams besides their, them and Bethel were the only teams to beat Warburg last season. Bethel actually beat Warburg early in the season, then again in, in the playoffs. But I you know, figure they they may struggle a bit with them, and they did not struggle even a little bit. No. Uh, my other terrible pick was uh, was picking Luther to uh, to remain unbeaten, and uh, they actually lost to Central forty seven seven. So the Dutch came up with the, uh, the the perfect defense against the option, and it really never got going. Uh, yeah, and and uh, my pick to remain unbeaten was uh, obviously not a good one as well either. Uh, I picked Bridgewater to beat Emory and Henry in that battle of unbeaten's in the Odexes. Bridgewater had the home field, and I thought that that would be a uh, uh, you know, something that would make a difference. Uh, clearly not. Emory and Henry unbeaten. Keith, you know when the last time was Emory and Henry was 5-0, and right? Yeah, uh, 1998, which was the l- last year there was a 16-team playoff. They expanded to 28 and 99, and I think 2004 we went to 32. Uh, Emory and Henry famously that season, 10-0, and did not make the playoffs because there were four other unbeaten teams in, uh, in the South region at that time. And, and back then, uh, there were only four teams from each region in the, in the postseason. And for all the complaints that we get about the postseason and the complaints that some of them are perfectly legitimate, we just got to remember that when we started this thing, we were coming off of a, a year in which, yeah, unbeaten teams did not make the field because there was not enough room for them. So at least with all the flaws that any playoff system has, at least this was one that, uh, um, that we managed to get rid of. Uh, we're going to move ahead. Uh, we're going to go to the flash drive, which is what we're now calling the uh, lightning round because the lightning round isn't fast enough. <clears throat> so the flash drive is even faster. Uh, I'm going to throw a bunch of clicks, quick slants. Uh, Keith's either going to receive them or we're just going to call another play and uh, run it like a no huddle. Like Whitewater ran a lot of no huddle on Saturday, by the way. Uh, Whitworth will lam it. Uh, so Whitworth ran 112 plays. Uh, you'd, you'd think that was the uh, NCAA Division Three record for most plays in a game. And if you went to the printed version of the record book, you would think that was correct. But of course, Wilkes set that record uh, against DelVal in week three with 113 plays in a regulation game. Uh, and of course, the week before in that triple overtime game, Rose Holman ran 114 plays. Yeah, in uh, keeping with the theme of shootouts, Trine and uh, Olivet also had a high-scoring game, but it wasn't... Uh I guess back and forth as, as much as some of the other ones. Uh, Olivet was the one who coughed up the big lead in this one. They led 42-24 late in the third, trying to score 22 unanswered in the final 15 minutes and three seconds to win 46-42. And the, uh, the, the big star during that run was Anthony Yoder, who had touchdown catches of uh, 54 yards and 80 yards during that, uh, that comeback. Big final 15 minutes and three seconds for Anthony Yoder. When we talk about having to pick teams that are going to lose in the top 25 and get upset, this is the kind of stuff we're up against. There were six shutouts uh, by top 10 teams. Nobody scored more than 13 points against a top 10 team, and every top 10 team on Saturday won by 30 points or more. You know, I almost wrote something like that as one of the triple take picks because it wasn't hard to tell that there were going to be a bunch of blowouts. I didn't think there were going to be six shutouts. That's pretty impressive and maybe speaks to the, the lost art of defense, which some some of our top 25 teams actually still play. It is true, uh, especially against Stout, against Ohio Northern, against Wilmington, against Coe uh, and against Springfield. Um, Linfield, I think, uh, one of the, I wanted to point them out. They're one of the best teams at uh, keeping from running up the score. Uh, they did this in a game last year, I think, also against uh, Lewis and Clark. But they went up 45 nothing at half. 
against George Fox and ended up winning 59 nothing. One of those scores in the second half was a pick six. Uh, they gave 14 different players carries on Saturday. Three different guys played quarterback. And, you know, for uh, for the Wildcats facing their neighbor, George Fox, who uh, hadn't played in football since 1942, and a George Fox program and administration that had made a lot of noise about bringing football back, I thought they were remarkably restrained in only beating them by 59. Well, they also remember their their head coach is a uh, Linfield guy. He, he coached there at one point, so uh, there's some ties between uh, those programs, which you would know if you bought kickoff. Ooh. In week six, still getting kickoff references. Hey, you got you got to if you read us, you know you know these these things, and uh, they're they're all uh, fairly interesting. How about Carroll improving to five and zero, but not just uh, doing it against one of the old Midwest Conference also rans? They crushed St. Norbert thirty to six, and they ended a seventeen game losing streak against the Green Knights. St. Norbert, kind of like Washington Jefferson in the pack, or uh, I'm trying to think of uh, if there are any other teams who kind of have. Dominated their conference for for a good, you know, twelve, fifteen, twenty years, and it, you know, no no surprise that uh, there's a seventeen game uh, losing streak there for Carroll and uh, big big day to to get that monkey off their back. Just in time for Carroll to go to the CCIW, although I don't think that's until twenty sixteen. Um, so what what the what's the deal with Williams? Uh, Eves have lost nine out of twelve. Middlebury goes to Williams and wins in overtime, and all of a sudden that uh, Eves game at Tufts next week is looking like it's a little bit uh, sketchy for Williams. Yeah, imagine that Tufts Tufts beating Williams, and that'd be pretty impressive. I, you know, I think uh, we kind of briefly touched on River Falls earlier, uh, but I wanted to, wanted to touch on them one more time. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Just keep going. It's a flash drive. You got to get out of bounds. Let's go. <laughs> the uh, the longtime uh, Wyack doormat. I think uh, after their fairly uh, decent games against uh, Stevens Point and uh, and Platteville the past couple weeks, uh, losing by seven and by ten, um, I think they're going to pick somebody off before they get to Whitewater in week eleven. They have uh, about you know four more games before they have to face the uh, the juggernaut of D three, and I think they're going to beat at least at least one of these Wyack teams, if not a couple. But just to be completely clear for everybody who's listening and on the record, you're not saying River Falls is going to pick off Whitewater in Week 11. No. How about the USA South? We talk about the uh, ASC being the little 12, so I don't even know what kind of uh, moniker we might apply to the USA South. But again, a, a big offensive week. We, um, I know we wrote about the, uh, the, the senior and experienced quarterbacks. So how about Huntington? Uh, you know, kicking Christopher Newport out the door as they head to the uh, New Jersey Athletic Conference next season. Beat him 51-31. Max Reber and Methodist keep rolling. I think they put down 63, if I remember correctly, on Greensboro. Uh, North Carolina Wesleyan with a big week. It's just a, a lot of offense in that conference, too. Yeah, and, and obviously not just a lot of offense now, but they have a, a four-way tie for first currently. Huntington, Maryville, North Carolina Wesley, and Christopher Newport are all 3-1 and one in the conference. Meth- Methodist, 2-1 and one in conference. So you have five teams right now uh, having a race to, to, for first place. Coming up, no, wait, sorry, one last, uh, one last flash drive. We got, um, we got a two-point conversion attempt here to tie this game at 50 uh, and uh, finish the flash drive. Yeah, we got to mention the Guru Bowl, as we I think we named the Randolph-Macon Catholic game. I think actually it's, somebody uh, else named it that for what it's worth. Yeah, good, because it's not, it's not really the, the greatest name in the world. But uh, 42-21 on Friday, Randolph-Macon beat Catholic. Uh, and those, those games, have, uh, at both places now, they started playing them on Friday night under the lights. Maybe call it the 50-50 Bowl. I'd like that, because you'd have to know your history for that one. 
Um, you would did indeed. Coming up next week, some uh, interesting games to take a look at. Uh, Louisiana College is going to Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, Heidelberg at Mount Union. Like either of those teams really has a shot in those games. I, I'm talking about, of course, the road teams going up against the top two and three teams in the country. Yeah, I was thinking those games looked a lot better when the schedule came out at the beginning of the season than they do right now because you know Mount Union and Mary Harden Baylor haven't skipped a beat, and uh, and Heidelberg and LC have skipped a couple beats. Yeah, Mount Union has looked really, 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 really good on offense. Uh, Wesley takes uh, one of his cross-country trips. They go to Menlo. I, t- I mentioned, I think it might have been on Twitter on Saturday or sometime during the week, that uh, Wesley's first half of the season, they were playing the Who's Who, and in the second half of the season, they are playing the Who's That. And in this case, Menlo, at least, is a former D3 school. Maybe some of you have heard of them. Whitworth is at Linfield. I don't think Whitworth is going to uh, run the 112 plays on Saturday. Um, I could be wrong, but probably not on that. Uh, Dubuque is at Wartburg. Uh, Wartburg is the only team that uh, uh, Dubuque has not beaten since since Stan Zwiefel took over as head coach there. Uh, that's a that's a interesting set, and it's going to be a pretty big uh, challenge on Saturday. I, Wartburg just just keeps impressing. Yeah, and uh, again with a, a big week both on offense and defense last week on Saturday. Uh, the entire Centennial Conference comes off of its bye weeks. I can only hope that they had midterms or something because that's a Centennial Conference kind of thing to do. Uh, Johns Hopkins is at Dickinson uh, among the other Centennial games. University of Chicago at Bethel. I don't know if they'll have a seat for me in the press box, but that might be an interesting game to go to. Um, and uh, I was reading on the message board, apparently way, way back in the annals of neverness, um, there's a connection between those two schools uh, that goes back into like the uh, early 1900s or something but regardless um university of chicago is going to have a battle yeah and and their level of competition is gradually getting tougher and i don't think it gets a whole lot tougher than than bethel uh you know bethel had not defeated this season but uh but they're about as good as it gets coming out of the mayak Wittenberg is at Worcester. Stevens Point at Platteville. Uh, you know, if Platteville didn't look good on Saturday against River Falls uh, and Stevens Point didn't look good against River Falls, I don't know if that actually tells us anything about the Stevens Point Platteville game. Uh, Wilkes is at Widener. I don't know if Wilkes is going to get to run 113 plays against Widener. Uh, Pacific Lutheran at Pacific. W&J and Bethany, which uh, is a surprisingly important game in the President's Athletic Conference. Yeah, Bethany's kind of been a you know bottom half of the the pack team for most of its, yeah, I don't know, last at least ten years, let's say, and probably longer than that, and uh, and now they're five and one, and and uh, they're they're hosting W and J. W and J's been a been an offensive juggernaut, and to you know jump back two steps that Wilkes at Widener game, we talked about how Wilkes has that uh, that that up tempo offense now. Widener though defensively. As as well known as some of Widener's offensive players are, they've only given up thirty three points this season in five games. St. John's is at Gustavus. Gustavus started the season 6-0, and now they uh, have to run the gauntlet the rest of the season, as we've mentioned multiple times. St. John's, St. Thomas, Concordia, and Bethel in some order over the course of the next four weeks. Emory and Henry is at Hampton-Sydney. Um, I don't think we would have pegged this game for uh, an unbeaten against a one loss at this point. Well, and I don't know if we'd peg the Bridgewater at Guilford game as a huge game at the beginning of the season, although I think we thought good things were, uh, were, were coming for both those teams. But that Emory and Henry being back uh, under uh, Kurt Newsom. Yep. You know, he, having them off to a five start, a five and oh start is a sort of throwback to the days when Emory and Henry, I guess we've already mentioned Emory and Henry's history once already in this podcast, <laughs> but, but a throwback to when they were a threat to go 10 and oh, to when they were a threat to win the ODAC. And they, they, they never really uh, developed into that under Don Montgomery. 
Amherst is at Wesleyan. Uh, St. Olaf at Carleton. They'll play for the GOAT. Uh, Delaware Valley at Stevenson. And Occidental at Chapman. That's a matchup of uh, two of the top teams in the Skyac this season. So, uh, Keith, any thoughts on those last four games I just rattled off? None. Okay, as that's the uh, end of the Around the Nation podcast uh, for the week of uh, October 13th, 2014. Don't forget to stay tuned throughout the week for all the rest of the stuff that we do. You probably know what it is because we say it every week. Play of the week, uh, team of the week, those nominations, SIDs are due by 8 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. Play of the week, coaches, SIDs, fans, we need to see those video clips in our inbox by 5 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. And of course, all of our Around the Region columns and uh, we've already see snap judgments from ryan tips and then another uh around the nation column from ryan tips later in the week for keith mcmillan i'm pat coleman thanks for listening to the around the nation podcast